Well, welcome to Epic. My name is Jake. Thank you so much for being here with us today to worship. And if you're joining us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us wherever you are today. And I just want to give a quick shout out to our students and our leaders who are in upstate New York at, at Snow Camp at Word of Life. Uh, welcome. Thank you for tuning in, whether you're watching this live or whether you watch it tonight when you're in the airport. Uh, we hope that you have had an amazing time connecting with each other and growing in your faith with God. And thank you, leaders, for pouring into our high school students. You guys are awesome. Let's give a hand to to all of our, our leaders who pour into our students every week. We've got uh, 27 students and leaders who are in upstate New York. They left on Thursday. They'll get home a little bit after midnight tonight. So I know God's been doing some amazing things up there in New York. In the single digits, too. You guys are, you guys are brave. All right. Well, we are in part three of a series that we are calling Functional Families. And today, we are going to be talking about communication. And communication specifically within a family dynamic. Now, if maybe you don't have a significant other, maybe you don't have kids, I don't want you to think that this is a chance for you to just mentally zone out uh, during the message because there are many relationships that you have in your life. It could be a relationship at work, could be a relationship with your own parents, maybe you have siblings of your own or some extended family. So as we walk through these, these principles, though I'm gonna be sharing them through the lens of a, of a family with your spouse, with your kids, think about how you can use these uh, tools that we're gonna give you today in every relationship in your life. Now, here's the big idea of where we are headed today. I believe that we are under attack spiritually. I believe that families are under attack. Would anybody agree that families are under attack these days? Yeah, everywhere you look, you can see how our families are being attacked. Everywhere you look, you see there's, there's strife, hostility, potential for miscommunication within the home. And I believe that we have an enemy whose goal is to attack and destroy families. In fact, in John 10.10, Jesus says this. He says that we have an enemy, and our enemy's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, in military warfare, communication often holds the key to victory. If an enemy can break down the lines of communication, it greatly increases the chances of you being vulnerable, isolated, and ultimately destroyed. Now, think about it in a, in a sports context. A home field advantage plays a huge role in how you can effectively communicate with your team, right? So when you're on the road, like let's take a, a Seattle Seahawks. They have been known to have one of the best home field environments. They even call their home fans the 12th man. There's only 11 players on the field, but the home field becomes that 12th man. And what they do is they create such an intense environment when the opposing team's offense is on the field. They all stand up and they're yelling. They're making it so difficult for the coaches to communicate to the quarterback, the quarterback to communicate to his offensive line who's protecting them, his receivers, they might not be on the same page. And so the more the enemy can impact your communication, the better chance they have of defeating you on that particular play or even throughout the game. Oftentimes you'll see when a team's on a, a hostile environment like that, the coach or the the quarterback's going to have to call a timeout because they simply can't get on the same page. And that could be a really important timeout that they could have used later on in the closing moments of a game. So as we walk through this topic today, I want you to consider how the enemy is attacking and affecting the lines of communication within your home. How is the enemy affecting the lines of communication within your, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your parents, your extended family, and even those relationships with your neighbors and your coworkers. 
Now, several years ago, the Huffington Post did a survey, and the survey revealed that poor communication was the number one reason why couples split up. The survey also found that men and women have very different communication complaints. Wow, who knew, right? Men and women are different when it comes to communication, right? But here's what the survey found. It said that for 70% of men, that they they cited nagging and complaining as their number one communication problem within their marriage. Now, let me just say, I'm happy to be in that 30% of men who don't share that complaint with their spouse, unless, of course, we're driving. Then there's plenty of times where there's nagging and complaining going on. My wife and I, we know this is an area uh, for improvement in our relationship. For women, the top complaint, 83% of women shared that their, their top complaint was that their spouse doesn't validate their feelings or opinions enough. I don't really know if I believe that, but I'm just kidding. I just wanted to show you how easy it is to be dismissive of someone else's feelings, right? So, e- we, so often we can just easily dismiss something that has truth for the other person. Now, when Julie and I first started dating 21 years ago, I had previously come out of a couple of dating relationships where there was a lot of struggle when it came to communication. Early on in those dating relationships in my late teenage and early 20s, uh, I, I, I saw that these communication issues were leading to things like confusion, insecurity, there was a lack of trust, there was outbursts of anger, specifically on my end. There were unspoken expectations, which in turn then led to unmet expectations. And sometimes in those past relationships, it just felt like I was stuck in a game where I had no idea what the rules were, I had no idea how to play, and I definitely had no idea how I could win or succeed in that relationship. So I remember going through those, those difficult dating relationships, and I would call my mom. I'm in California. My mom is 3,000 miles away back in upstate New York. And I would call my mom, and I would just talk her ear off and complain about how frustrating this dating relationship was going. And I remember some of the advice she gave to me. She said, Jake, dating is supposed to be fun and enjoyable. <laughs> she said, you know, it's, it's supposed to be one of the greatest seasons in your life where you're learning about each other. And if you're always at this point of where you're just frustrated and angry, maybe you need to, to consider that. So I realized that until I could get this communication thing figured out, dating probably was not going to be very fun or enjoyable for me. And so one of the things that made dating so difficult, and this might be just be me here, is it seemed that it was always a guessing game. I just couldn't figure girls out, right? Sometimes they would say yes, but they actually meant no. And sometimes they would say no when they actually meant yes. And and so at the age of 25, when I finally met Julie, I quickly noticed how awesome she was. And I was like, I don't want to lose her. So I have to figure out how to communicate effectively so I don't risk losing her. And so early on in her relationship, I would say to to Julie, I'd say, hey, babe, I, I never want to assume that you are lying to me. So, so help me out here. If you mean yes, just say yes. If you mean no, just say no. So I'm not here stuck guessing all the time. And, and, and I'm not, I, I told her, I was like, I'm not that smart. And I, I believe that most guys aren't that smart. So ladies, if you can just help us men out and do us a favor, when you mean yes, just say yes. And if you mean no, just say no. That'll go a long way for us. Now, I remember One of the first times that we crossed that bridge is we were dating just a few months, and a bunch of the guys from the college group 
wanted to get together and go play um, you know, Xbox, or we would play Halo. And, and back then, you couldn't just get on the internet and play video games with your friends like you do now all over the world. We would have to physically take our Xbox consoles, come together at the same house, plug them into each other, and then hook them up to a giant TV, and we would play all night long. And so sometimes we'd start at like 9 or 10 o'clock and go till the wee hours of the morning. And so I remember asking Julie, uh, you know, letting her know that this is something that, that was going to happen. And, and so I asked her if I could go, and she said, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and I, th- I think that she meant no, but I had already told her, you know, what we're t- how we're trying to communicate here. So I asked her one more time, and I said, hey, remember, you know, if you mean yes, say yes. If you mean no, say no. And again, she said, yeah, that's fine. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go. And so I went. And I knew that she meant no, but I wasn't trying to be a jerk or anything. But what I was trying to do was set a ground rule of like, I'm not going to assume that you're lying. And this, this is how important um, honest and open communication is to me. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. So it was a little bit clunky early on as we worked out through those, link, uh, through those early days in our dating and engagement time. But once we got married and we kind of made, made this a thing to where we were going to be open and honest with our communication, we were going to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And that has helped us tremendously. Um, at the end of the day, I'm not a mind reader. And so you can, you can give me all the hints and verbal cues, nonverbal cues, but at the end of the day, I need you to help me out here and just be honest. Now, open, honest communication, it affects so many relationships in our life. We communicate at school, we communicate at work, we even do so much communication online and even through texting. In our families, we communicate with our parents, our siblings, our in-laws, our extended family. And for those of you who have kids, we're constantly trying to communicate with our kids, aren't we? But sometimes that can be difficult because sometimes you can be lucky to even get one word. Most of the time, you just get nothing. They just walk right by you and they have AirPods in. They didn't even hear a word that you said. And so it can be very difficult to communicate with our kids as well. If you're married or have a significant other, just think of all the complexities within that relationship. Verbal communication, nonverbal communication, physical touch, a frustrated sigh, eye-rolling, misinterpreting a text message, or even worse, ignoring a text message. There's so many different aspects of communication that we need to be aware of. And so as difficult as it can be to have open and honest and healthy communication in all those different relationships, it doesn't help that we have an enemy who wants to actively destroy those relationships. And here's the thing, it's easier to be attacked when your defenses are down. And just like in war or just like in a sporting event, it's easier to be attacked when there's miscommunication taking place. So one of the best lines of defense in our marriage, one of the best lines of defense within your family, one of the best lines of defense in any of your relationships is healthy communication. Therefore, in order to protect your marriage and your family, you must improve your communication. In order to protect your marriage, and your family, you must improve your communication. So how can we defend and protect our marriage and our family against attack? How can we improve our communication? Well, the Bible actually has quite a lot to say about that. So we're going to spend some time in James chapter 3 today. We're going to have the verses here on the screen. But if you have your uh, Bible app, feel free to use that. A lot of people like to use their Bible app because then you can highlight and and save verses as well. Um, But as you make your way to James chapter 3, let me read this proverb for you. It's Proverbs 18, 21. It says, the tongue 
can bring death or life. Those who love the talk will reap the consequences. We already talked about how the enemy brings death. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But it's not only the enemy who brings death. We also can bring death, and it's through our own tongue. Have you ever considered that the words that you speak, they can speak death, or the words that you speak can speak life? That's a lot of power. That is a whole lot of power within your, within your words. And so I want you to listen to what James writes in James chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 2. It says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Just look at the vivid imagery that James is using in that text. A small bit in a horse's mouth can, can direct that entire animal. A small rudder can control the direction of an entire ship. A tiny spark can create an entire forest fire. Have you had moments in your life where maybe you said a, a snarky, rude, or mean comment, and it led to an entire forest fire of hurt? Well, in verse 2, James says that we all have. He says we all have. Indeed, we all make many mistakes with our tongue. Have you ever had moments where somebody has hurt you by the words that they spoke? It might have just been a little side comment, or maybe it was even an intentional blow. But the words that they spoke, they stung and they hurt. And many of you carry the effect and the weight of those words for years, sometimes even decades. There's power in our words. Our tongue has the power to destroy, or our tongue has the power to speak life. James goes on to say, in verse 6, it says, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Continuing on to verse 7, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Consider the relationships in your own life, the relationships that have broken down. How did the tongue play a factor in the breakdown of those relationships? Do you ever wish that you could take something back that you said? You see, once, once those words leave your lips, once that text that you've been staring at, that mean text, that hurtful text that you were debating to send and you finally hit send, and then you have that instant regret, you wish you could take it back, but the damage has already been done. Once those words leave your mouth, once that email or text has been sent, the damage has been done. And this is why the psalmist says in Psalm 141, he says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. You see, your words matter. What you say matters. So when you find yourself in a heated moment where tensions are rising, there's bickering back and forth, take a moment and echo that prayer of David and say, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my 
lips. Now our words and our, the use of our tongue, that's just, that's just one form of communication. There's, there's other forms of communication that can speak death or speak life into your marriage, into your family. And, and some of those other forms of communication, let me just give you a few here. A cold shoulder, that can say something. Rolling your eyes, refusing to touch or embrace someone. Slamming a door shut. Your posture, even just standing there, shrugging, holding your arms, that can, that can speak volumes when you're communicating. Eye contact could be a nasty glare, could be even refusing to give eye contact. And so I want to share with you a few practical ways on how you can speak life into your family and into your relationships. First one is listen. Everyone go ahead and just cover your mouth. Right? When, you're, when, you're, when you're covering your mouth, what are you doing? You're forcing yourself to listen. Listening speaks volumes. In a conversation, this is often the most important thing that you can do is to listen. Now, this is difficult for many people. This is difficult for me. I'm very blessed today that my wife is serving in the children's ministry and she's not here. This makes it a little bit easier for me to speak today because she knows that listening can be a problem for me. Now, I can be quiet. There's some times where I'm being quiet but I'm not really listening to what she's saying. Instead, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm formulating my response while she's talking so that the second she pauses for even a half second, I can fire back with what I think is right. But I was never really active listening. I was just being quiet. Now, if you're still in the book of James, go back just a few chapters to the first chapter of James. It says this in James 1.19. It says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. When you remain silent and when you listen, it may seem like you're not part of the conversation, but if you're actively listening, that is showing the other person that you are fully present and engaged. Now, active listening, it's, it's not easy. For some people, it's extremely hard work. You see, listening, it requires focus, it requires patience, and listening takes practice. You can't just default to, and say, you know what? My personality type just doesn't listen. That, that's, not, that's not accurate because listening is something that you can practice. You can get better at listening over time, but you have to practice it to get better at it. Proverbs 18.2 says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their opinions. If you want to improve communication in your relationships, then learn to master the art of listening. So when you listen, you are in fact communicating, you are speaking life into your relationships. Number two, invite. Everyone lift up your hand about shoulder height right here. Just give me a little one of these. Like, come on, come on over here, invite. Invite, invite someone into the conversation. Is there anyone in here who, who likes being told what to do or being told what's going on? I think that most people prefer to be invited into the conversation. Let me, let me give you an example. So let's say that I, I'm going to go golfing with the guys this weekend. I go to my wife and I say, hey, babe, I'm going to play golf with the guys tomorrow. I'll be home sometime mid-afternoon. That's one way to approach it, right? Now, if my, what if my wife had wanted to do something with me that, that next afternoon? What if she'd already made plans with our family or with just me and her and it slipped my mind? Because trust me, that happens more often than you would think. Um, so... If that exchange happens once or twice in your marriage, in your relationship, probably not a huge deal. But if that becomes a habit, the other person will begin to feel like they are not valued. 
Now check, the, check out this difference. What if I invite my wife into the conversation? What if I say, hey babe, some of the guys are getting uh, together to go golf this weekend. If we don't have anything going on, I'd love to join them. Do you think that works out this week or should I find another time to go golf with the guys? By inviting her into the conversation, I'm giving her space to say, oh yeah, you guys never get to do that. Go have a great time. Or she can say, hey, actually, I was hoping that we could do this or spend some time together doing something. And then it gives her a chance. So one was a directive where I'm just saying, this is what's gonna happen. And the other is an invitation. Invite your spouse into the conversation. Invite your kids into the conversation. And with kids, this makes a huge difference, especially, you probably learned this, if you have teenagers. How well do your conversations go with your teenagers when you just give them a hard direction compared to when you invite them into the conversation? See, another way to invite someone into the conversation is to ask questions. See, listening is so crucial in a conversation, and so is asking questions. And guess what? When you ask questions, what are you doing? You're creating more opportunities for you to practice active listening. The more questions you ask, the more you'll be able to listen. All right, now my teenage boys, uh, they are 15 and 17. They're at the age where all of a sudden working out is very important to them. Now, for many years, they had no interest in it, but now it's like every day they're trying to get to the gym, they're trying to get their chores done, their school assignments done, so they can go to the gym sometime in the evening. And so what I do to try to invite them into the conversation, I I take an interest on what's going on in their world. And so when they come back from the gym, I'll ask about it. I'll say, how was the gym? Uh, what, What muscle groups did you work out today? What exercises did you do today? If they hit the bench, I'll ask how much they benched that day. If I know that they did legs a few days ago, I'll say, hey, how are your legs doing? I know usually it's that one or two days after you've done leg day where your legs just feel like jello. And so I'll invite conversation around things that they are interested in. Now, there's also the temptation that I wrestle with because for a lot of my life, I, I played sports and I did a lot of different workout routines. And so there's the temptation for me to want to give them my wisdom and tell them what I think they should be doing. Now, if they ask me for specific advice, okay, I'll give it. But the purpose, the reason I'm asking questions isn't so I can tell them how to do it if they want to do it right. That's not really what we're trying to get at here. The purpose of me asking questions is to invite them into a conversation about things that they are interested in. I'm inviting them into a conversation for this reason. Because when you invite someone into the conversation, it lets them know how much you care about them. When you invite someone in, it lets them know how much you care about them. You know who is the master at inviting others into the conversation? It's probably no surprise to you, but the answer is Jesus, right? Jesus was a master at inviting others into the conversation. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus, he asked a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus already knew the answer, He's blind, right? He probably wants to be healed. Jesus knew that, but Jesus invites him into the conversation by asking a question. In John chapter four, Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink. Jesus, he could have got himself a drink. He could have asked one of his disciples to get him a drink, but he specifically asked this woman for a drink because he wanted to invite her into a conversation so he could learn about her and tell her about living water. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? Jesus is giving them an open opportunity to share 
their thoughts. And as Jesus is listening to their thoughts, he listens to Simon Peter's response, where si- and, and Simon says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. So who are you inviting into the conversation? How are you inviting your spouse into the conversation? How are you inviting your kids into the conversation? And trust me, church, communication in your home, in your workplace, it will greatly improve when you invite others into the conversation. Number three, a third way that we can speak life into our relationships. Everyone go ahead and put up your hands just like this. All right? Fight fair. When you fight fair, you can speak life into your relationships. Think about a, a boxer for a moment, right? When they're in the ring, they have their boundary of where they can fight. A lot of times, well, all the time in a boxing match, there's a referee. Sometimes you might need that in your home life as well. There's a referee present. They have the right equipment. When do they not fight fair? I'm not talking WrestleMania when they jump outside and they grab a metal chair and hit them on the back. I'm not talking that kind. I'm talking boxing. But when do they not fight fair? It's usually in the press conference one or two days before where they flip the table, they stand up, and they start yelling at the other person, right? But when they're inside the ring, They have agreed by a set of rules to fight fair. And we need to have those rules in our marriage. We need to have those rules in our family, how to fight fair. And so I want to give you just five quick rules on how to fight fair within your marriage. Number one is no sneak attacks. Nobody likes walking in the door and getting smacked in the face with a fight, right? If something serious needs to be talked about, set up a time and set up a place for you to have that difficult conversation. You see, when you set up a specific time and a specific place, it gives both parties a much better chance at remaining calm and keeping their cool. Number two, no bringing up past baggage. Focus on the issue at hand. If there's past baggage that has already been discussed and forgiveness has already taken place, then guess what? That is off limits. When you said, I forgive you for, you have, you have erased that debt. You have forgiven them for that, so it is not right for you to bring up something that you've already forgiven them for. Number three, no interrupting. Now, this is difficult. This is difficult for me. It might even seem impossible for some of you, but if you can refrain from interrupting, you'll have a much better chance to hear the other person out. And the good news is, if you've been working on your listening skills, then this is going to get easier over time. It'll be easier to fight without interrupting if you can focus on listening. Number four, no criticizing. Criticizing can often look like mimicking, name-calling, using foul language. You see, when you start criticizing each other, you start fighting dirty, and you end up fighting about how you are fighting rather than about working towards solving the issue. Number five, apologize. The three hardest words to say in the entire English language are, I am sorry. And so just for practice, let's all say that together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I am sorry. See, some of you, that might be the first time you're hearing those words from the person next to you, right? But it can be done. Be able to, be, be able to say, I am sorry. Now, last week, if you weren't here, Tim gave a great message on forgiveness and on the power of offering a proper apology. And so if you missed last week, I highly recommend you go online and watch last week's message on forgiveness. You see, apologizing is so important, but when you apologize, it must be sincere. 
it must be specific. A proper apology both acknowledges the hurt and accepts responsibility. Now, I've worked with many couples over the years, and, and there's one bit of advice that I try to, to give to every couple I work with, and it's this. In moments of fighting, remember that you are on the same team. You're on the same team. You are not fighting against each other, but when you're fighting, you are fighting for each other. You are not fighting against each other. You're fighting for each other. This is true for you and your spouse. This is true for you and your children. This is true for you and your parents, you and your extended family. Remember, you're on the same team. You're not fighting against each other, but you're fighting for each other. All right, so let's recap. We got listen, invite, fight fair, and I've got one more for you. Everyone do this with their hands. Put your hands right here. And then just lift them up a couple of times. They'll give me a little whoop, whoop. Number four, encourage. When you encourage people, what are you doing? You're lifting them up. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Like we read earlier in Proverbs 18, it says, the tongue can bring death or life. Your words are powerful. Your words have the power to bring death or your words have the power to speak life. Your words have the power to tear someone down your words also have the power to build someone up. So use your words wisely to build others up. Ephesians 4.29 says it this way. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything, and I love here that it says everything. It doesn't say let the majority of the things you say. It says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Are you known in your family as someone who speaks pleasant words? Do you consistently build others up with the words that you speak? Are you finding ways to encourage your spouse? Are you finding ways to encourage your kids? You can extend it a little bit farther. Are you finding ways to encourage your neighbors, to encourage your coworkers? You see, we have an enemy, and the enemy wants to kill, to steal, and destroy. The enemy wants to break down those relationships, especially those re relationships that are the most important to us. But we have the power to speak life. So how do you speak life into your relationships. I tried to make it real easy for us all to remember, so I used the acronym here for the word life. You got listen, invite, fight fair, and encourage. Let's, let's just do that all together, right? Listen, cover your mouth. Invite, fight fair, and encourage. You can do a little whoop, 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 right? You speak life, speak life. And so my challenge for you this week is to work on one of those areas. Don't, don't go home this week and try to work on all four. There's, there's a lot in there, but pick one that you need to work on. And maybe you already know which one to work on, but if, but if you're not, I'm gonna give you a moment here to spend some time in prayer where you can ask the Lord which one you need to work on. But I also encourage you, we're talking about communication today, feel free to go home and communicate with your spouse. Communicate with your kids and say, we learned about this in church today, how we can speak life 
We can listen, we can invite, we can invite, we can fight fair, and we can encourage. Which one do, do you think I need to work on? Invite someone else in that conversation, get their perspective and say, where do you think I need to work on? And then commit to working on that this week. And you might not be done by the end of the week. If that takes weeks or months to work on that one aspect, keep working on it until you got it. And then once you have it, begin to work through the other ones until you can become a master at each one of those. Learn to speak life into every relationship in your world. In just a few minutes, we're gonna close with a song by Toby Mack. If you're not familiar with Toby Mack, he's a, a Christian artist who's been putting out phenomenal music for 30 plus years. And what I want you to do during that song, I just want you to sit, sit in prayer, look at the words on the screen, listen to the band as they play, and begin to think about how you can, you can work on ways to speak life into those relationships in your world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today humbled. We know that we are all guilty of having moments where we have not spoken life into relationships. We've all are guilty of moments where we've hurt others with our words. We've said things that we wish we could take back. We've failed to find moments where we can encourage others. We're guilty of not fighting fair. We're guilty of, of not inviting others into the conversation. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you, even today, reveal to us where we need to improve, how we can become better at speaking life into every relationship in our world. Help us, Lord. Help us. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.